So there's a short sutta that I want to share with you. We haven't printed it up for you. You may not need the text. <clears throat> but I'll share it with you tonight and we'll see. It's called the Ways of Developing Immersion Further. And I think it'll give us a chance to explore maybe some of the things that come up in practice and how to address them. So the Buddha said there are these four ways of developing immersion further. And so this is a translation by Bhante Sujato, so that's the word he likes to use, immersion, to translate samadhi. What for? Well, there's a way of developing samadhi further that leads to blissful meditation in the present life. And there's a way of developing samadhi further that leads to gaining knowledge and vision. And there is a way of developing immersion further that leads to mindfulness and awareness. I think that's probably sati and sampajanya. There is a way of developing immersion further that leads to the ending of defilements. So, nibbana, arahantship. So the first one, leading to blissful meditation in this present life, is the description of the jhanas. So, when a practitioner, quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unskillful qualities, enters and remains in the first absorption. And then it's got the ellipses, because it's the standard description of the first jhana, and then the second jhana, the third jhana, the fourth jhana. And this is the way of developing immersion further that leads to blissful meditation in the present life. And the Buddha often referred to the jhanas in that way. This is a pleasant abiding here and now. <clears throat> and, you know, um, as I mentioned before, it's not productive as far as I can tell and based on what my teachers have taught to try to make those states happen. This is a theme in meditation. It's like we can we can see that there's something described by the Buddha perhaps or by his disciples and we want to make that happen and it's not it doesn't work like that. We can't just make that <coughs> excuse me. We can't just make that happen. We need to put in the causes and conditions for that to unfold. And um, the jhana, the descriptions of these different levels of, of jhana, of uh, immersion, of absorption, I guess that's a better way to put it, not to get too confused about what we're translating as what absorption are like that. So as you're meditating using maybe mindfulness and in and out breathing and 
the body's become tranquil and the mind has become tranquil and there's piti and sukha you know and you're you're staying focused on your in and out breathing and there's almost nothing maybe there's a little bit of thought in the background but the mind has become really still <coughs> that basically is samadhi enough like the first jhana but it's not really that important to think in terms of, you know, what jhana is this? It's much better to just stay with the meditation, let go more. As soon as some idea comes in mind of, I want to, you know, keep this going, I want to get this experience, then, <coughs> excuse me, that's, very self, that's a very self-defeating and unproductive. As most of us have experienced. Or I want to get back the, the great feeling and, and um, experience I had last time or 10 years ago or whatever. It just doesn't work. And the whole process is so much more about stepping back letting go, realizing that any kind of agenda is an effort to try to do something and that really just short circuits the process. <coughs> so even though the jhanas get described over and over again and it's good to know the kinds of things that happen as we proceed with meditation and when those things happen and you reflect on it later, you know you're going in the right direction, you, you can reflect on and it's a good idea, actually, after we have a meditation period to take a few minutes to reflect on what happened. Some people keep a journal. Because you can get, maybe you get a better sense of, you know, what, was, what, what your mental state was going in, how you worked with it, you know, what happened, how things emerged, whatever was, was going on. And then, you know, you can start to get to know your mind better and know um, how to work with it. You can think of it like, you know, if you've ever, if you have children or if you've ever worked with children or animals or any living being, like, you know, getting to know them, getting to know, you know, what calms them down, what agitates them, you know, what will cause them to want to do um, behaviors that are desirable or undesirable, basically how to train them. And we have to train the mind. So this is, this is really good to reflect on, okay, um, when I sat down to meditation this time, my mind was agitated, you know, I put my attention on this object. This is how things progressed, etc. <clears throat> and then you see these qualities. Oh, okay. My body felt really calm. My thoughts calmed down, but they weren't quite gone. Or things became very calm and this kind of image appeared or whatever 
maybe nothing like that. Maybe what appears is, you know, some very agitating mental state and what do you do with it, that kind of thing. So that's, that's the first one, uh, the jhanas, leading to a pleasant abiding here and now. And then the second one, developing immersion that leads to gaining knowledge and vision. So knowledge and vision, this is, you know, what, what the Buddha said happened um, when he realized or discovered, you might say, the Four Noble Truths and, you know, having um, understanding arise, insight. And what it says here is, so when a practitioner focuses on the perception of light, concentrating on the perception of day, regardless of whether it's night or day. And so with an open, unenveloped heart, they develop a mind that's full of radiance. Sounds nice. Is this a meditation you've heard of before? Yes, no, maybe. It's not the normal list, I think. It's, it shows up from time to time. So this is a way of developing immersion further that leads to gaining knowledge and vision. So I haven't worked with this. Um, so after I read this, by the way, my, my day was really weird today. I had no idea what I was going to talk to you about. I mean, I, you know, I thought, okay, I, I'm supposed to talk about mindfulness. But it was like, there was nothing happening. My, it's nothing coming. And I guess being speechless isn't something I'm that used to. You might have noticed that. Um, and it was, a, it was like, I, I've been, today it's really tired and kind of like, and uh, it was getting pretty late in the day, you know, like six. <laughs> well, you know, um, the main thing is whatever's happening in the mind, we bring mindfulness to it. So bringing mindfulness to what's there instead of, you know, freaking out like, oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> just bringing mindfulness in, and how how no matter what is happening with the mind, if we, if we observe it and bring mindfulness to it, there's a, there's a, a shift that occurs. Calming. So, I mean, you're in the middle of a two-week meditation. You know what the mind can show up with. It can really, like, when you're ragged, you know. But, you know, bringing mindfulness to it, being present with it. And um, I decided to kind of just dive into the Nikaya a little bit, and here's this sutta that really is 
a framework for what I think is might be useful for you right now. So here we are. But it's and then this this um, this method of developing this perception of light. So I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do during the puja sit here. It was so fun. <laughs> it was like, um, you know, first of all, recognizing that all these mental states, all of the jhanas, um, this idea of, of perception of light, they're volitional. Now, when you say that, it's like, okay, but I have to have, I make a choice. But it's only like, I can only make the choice to put in conditions. I can, you know, like, invite that perception of light. But our imaginations are quite strong. And, you know, to, you know, invite that perception of light and see what happens. And, you know, so... <coughs> The light wasn't super bright, and you know, it's like, okay, I can get how, you know, it, developing this could lead to this kind of um, a mind full of radiance. But it was very uplifting. And um, at one point, something started to happen that ha- often happens. Um, there's like this diamond kind of light that starts to come, but it pulses. And I don't know if any of you have this kind of thing or not. Anyway, it's kind of like, okay, inviting light or having the intention to focus on the perception of light um, has some potential. So you might want to try that one, see what happens. And of course, what kind of knowledge and vision might arise? Who knows? But um, I think I might try some more of that. And this is this is how it is. You know, we, we can think, well, I don't know. I want to be finished with this um, challenge that I have in my life or whatever. And of course, we all have those things. And when we can step back from the aversion to it or the desire for something, we've already um, got a long way to really holding whatever that is in a, in a way that's going to help resolve it. Um, the third one, developing immersion that leads to mindfulness and awareness. Now, this is really nice because they're not just talking about the things we see in the four foundations of mindfulness. It's more like what we saw, um, what we what we see in that statement of the Buddha of knowing that thought is just a thought, a feeling is just a feeling, a perception is just a perception. 
So here's how it goes. It's when a practitioner knows feelings as they arise, as they remain, and as they go away. They know perceptions as they arise, as they remain, and as they go away. They know thoughts as they arise, as they remain, and as they go away. And this is the way of developing immersion further that leads to mindfulness and clear comprehension or awareness. So this might sound like meditations that you do, but I would want you to explore um, whether... I don't want to say this. I think there's a there's going to be a qualitative difference between first developing some samadhi and then doing this kind of um, observation mindfulness. Then then if you just we just sit down and try to like just meditate in that way. So I hear from people that. Um, their instruction, the instructions that they've gotten, and I have no idea if this has been true for any of you exactly, but don't do concentration meditation. Um, just meditate, observing phenomena coming through, coming and going. And I think what the Buddha is saying here is different from that. I think he's saying because it's this is all about developing samadhi further, so. Establishing first tranquility in the body and tranquility in the mind. Your mind has already become somewhat still. And then what you're observing is the arising of feeling and perception and thought and not sensations or sounds or any of that. not thoughts, just um, what I want to say. I feel like it's a different quality of awareness of mindfulness of thought than we would have if we're just kind of watching thoughts float through like clouds. Is this making sense? So, I really, in my experience, it feels to me like the most important function, or that's too strong, a very, very important function of mindfulness is to be able to catch feeling and thought before they become destructive. And, you know, like, Anger arises, and we catch it, and we're putting it out here, just like today, the, the blankness of my mind, or the whatever that was, you know, like observing it. There's feeling involved, there's thought involved, maybe or not. <laughs> but, you know, like, let's say anger arises, let's say lust arises. You know, those are easy ones because they're so strong. It's kind of like why you really know you're experiencing it. 
but even other things that have less um, heat, you know, really aware that self-doubt arising and the feeling of that and then catching it and observing it with mindfulness it, it's like it, it's like it's creating a safety zone for that feeling a safety zone and then when it's with a thought the safety comes because we cut off proliferation that's the main thing we're actually cutting off it's not proliferation exactly but we're cutting off the growth of the emotion also when we're dealing with strong feeling. Personally, I don't ever find that much value in categorizing feeling as painful, pleasant, or neutral. That's not where the juice is for me. And, and it's also the case that I'm, I'm not so likely on a practical level to care about whether what I'm feeling is thought, I mean, is, is like basic um, feeling or if it's emotion, which is more of a sankara than feeling in the categorization. But who cares about categorization when you're like dealing with raw anger? <laughs> it doesn't matter. What matters is you're present with what you're experiencing and you're containing it in a safe zone and you're protecting everything else, your own mind, other people. And so this is, this is what I, what the way I find the benefit of sharpening our mindfulness. And it's not just things like anger or lust that can, you know, come out of that container and, and be problematic externally, it's also the stuff that's so damaging internally that we need to um, put this, you know, mindfulness around it. Trains of thought that are debilitating memories. Um, The things that lead us into more confusion, the things that lead us into depression, the things that lead us into more anxiety, you know, all of that um, has those same components of feeling and thought and proliferation. So mindfulness is such an incredible um, tool and and source of safety, being able to, you know, stop it right there. You know that you know it when it arises, and you're observing it, and you can observe it fade away without growing it. And and this also is, um, you know, kind of we've touched on this already a few times in different ways. This is also how we begin to reduce the 
the I making, my making around it. Because the self is very integrally involved in that um, kind of proliferation and explosion of what happens because of certain kinds of thoughts and feelings. And this does, and they say this leads to more mindfulness and more awareness. And it does, it really sharpens our mindfulness, especially when we start to see the value. Like, this is a really great tool. i got to sharpen it up, you know, and, and make good use of it. It changes our life. It changes our experience. It redirects our karma. Or it's a support in redirecting our karma. And then the fourth one says, in what way, what is the way of developing immersion further that leads to the ending of defilements? It's when a practitioner meditates, observing the rise and fall of the five aggregates. It says grasping aggregates, the aggregates subject to clinging, which is what makes them interesting at all. Such is form, such as the origin of form, such as the ending of form, such as feeling, such as the origin of feeling, the ending of feeling. This is perception, this is the origin of perception, this is the ending of perception. So again, a similar kind of thing as the previous one. You see it arise, you observe it, you see it, and or you know how it ends. And then, this is Bhante Sujato likes to use choices for sankara, for the aggregate sankara, because it does have that, that volitional aspect. So, such are choices, such as the origin of choices, such as the ending of choices. I still haven't warmed up to that, um, but Volitional formations doesn't really do it for me either. So, sankara, all that mental activity, all that, you know, those fundamental components that create all that mental activity and its results. So, choices. And such is consciousness, so this is sense consciousness, its origin, its um, ending. So this leads to the ending of defilements. It leads to us letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion because of a profound realization that can come out of this. Obviously, you see through our um, own ignorance about reality. So these are the four ways of developing immersion further. And it, it, was, it was in this connection that I said, says the Buddha, in the way to the far shore, in the questions of Punika, we had this verse earlier in a different sutta, having assessed the world 
high and low. There is nothing in the world that disturbs them, disturbs Narha. Peaceful, unclouded, untroubled, with no need for hope. They've crossed over rebirth and old age, I declare. So, you know, knowing this is all of these things are approaches, tools, avenues for working with our experience as it arises, comes and goes for training the mind. Um, this is all looking at the chitta, it's all looking at samadhi, it's training in the higher mind. So, you know, the gradual training is sila, samadhi, and panya. The, the training of the noble ones is training in higher virtue, higher mind, and higher wisdom. And that's what you're doing. So when you're dealing with doubt or fear or any other um, really challenging mental states and feelings, remember how much you've put into this path already. Remember that you are going in the right direction. Even if you make mistakes, even if you fall back into an old habit, it's, it's like this much compared to everything else in your life. And you, we, the important part is that we're going in the right direction. That we're developing this higher virtue. That alone is such a safety net. And, you know, it really um, starts to come to full flowering when we get to a place like this with our meditation mindfulness and samadhi where we can start to isolate our thoughts and feelings that can lead us down roads that are potentially harmful. And it's, this is really, this is fabulous. This is really a, a big deal. And when you have an experience where you're, and I'm sure you have already, um, but when we have an experience where we, are hand, we handle something with less heat, with less fallout, with less harm to others, with more mindfulness and more restraint and, and caring for ourselves. This is, we have to remember, none of this is about repressing um, what we feel. Mindfulness is you got it out there in the open, you're looking at it. Um, but when you have those experiences of having done this thing differently and better, really make note of that. Remember that. Um, remember, because culturally we're so conditioned, and not even just culturally, but biologically, uh, evolutionarily, we are so conditioned to focus on what we're not doing right, where our mistakes are, um, what hasn't been realized yet. And this is um, 
so counterproductive and the true nature of the way karma works, the way the Dhamma, the, the way the Dhamma is, is that the more we encourage ourselves, the more we put our focus and attention on the good, the more that expands and grows and develops. And it's, it's not a it's not from a place of delusion or um, painting a rosy picture or it's something else. It's seeing it all. But the problem is we are so frequently um, <coughs> distorting the picture in a negative direction about ourselves. It seems to be such a cultural um, burden for us. And, and like I said, and you probably all know this, um, you know, people who observe like, the development of human life, you know, evolution has built into us this replaying of the mistakes we've made many, many, many more times over than any of the positive choices we've made because that is more likely to keep us alive. Evolution wants to keep us alive so we can procreate. It doesn't care if we're happy. <laughs> and so the Buddha's like, hey, <laughs> freeing the mind, being happy and at ease is uh, really what we want to do, not just continue populating the planet or whatever. Um, so you get the idea. Um, it's just another thing to recognize that, yeah, we don't want to play into that uh, kind of idea of continuing to be harsh, where the harshness isn't helpful at all. I'm not sure harshness really is ever rarely. And then even um, when any kind of Harshness seems to work. I think a lot of times it really doesn't because there's some kind of backlash. But even someone like Dajan Mahabua, who was so, so fierce, um, people were really afraid of him. But actually, there was so much meta behind his um, admonishments. And, you know, you get kind of like there are personalities. But when you get used to them, you kind of know, you know, no, it's, it's, it's not intended for um, taking in a hard way. It's intended to be encouraging and uh, energizing. <laughs> anyway. I think that probably is most of what I would like to say here. There's so much wisdom that also gets developed as we come to understand the way our minds work, the patterns we have, the, the way the connections are with things we think or experience through our senses and what flashes through our system in in terms of feeling and 
um, intention and so on. And so the wisdom that we're developing is, okay, is this leading in a good direction or not? If it's um, downpulling and um, depressive, anxiety-producing and um, doubt-producing and fueling, no. Can we contain that and unpack it or at least observe it's coming and going without further furthering it? That's very empowering. And then we start to learn or we start to see what develops in place of that whole pattern. And, you know, as far as I can tell, most of what develops in place of that old pattern is equanimity, kindness, compassion. Um, one way or another, the Brahma Viharas. And, um, and, and wisdom. Confidence. Confidence in ourselves. Confidence in the path. Confidence in the Buddha. And, um, you can do this. Don't worry about where you're at in the process. It doesn't matter how long it takes. You've already made your life a lot happier than it used to be. Everything that you do in this lifetime in this direction will make it better. And, you know, you were able to come into a pretty darn good life here this time with whatever you came in with. And I think there's no... Um, very, very small chance it'll be worse in the future. Mm-hmm. I think you really can look forward to, okay, another another good situation. It's good to have that intention. <coughs> Excuse me, it's good to have that intention. Now when you die, you want to be reborn in a place where you can practice the Dhamma. And have a lot of love in your heart. And you know, I was thinking about that story that we told the other day that um, we actually heard from Gopi Kubodi about the traditional monk and the mother whose daughter plays the classical music and I think you know how it went. You might remember how it went. Um, I think the right response when she would ask, well, what's going to happen to her if she's, you know, providing this entertainment or this music and where is she going to go? I think the right response is a question. Tell me about your daughter, how she lives her life. You know, and remembering that all the good things we do in our life have such a positive impact on our karma. We're making merit. You're making merit when you meditate. You're making merit. Merit meaning you're you're developing this this stream, this field of goodness in your own life, you're making merit when you're kind and generous, you're making merit when you contain the 
negative feelings and thoughts, you're making merit through all of the ways you practice. And that makes such a huge difference. Um, such that if you ever have the opportunity to see some result of negative karma coming to fruition in your life, I'm pretty sure it will appear to be much lighter than you would expect. I've certainly gotten this sense in my own life, like, gee, I did it that way, and this is what's coming back. Anyway, um, that's that's in accordance with what the Buddha said about you know the way those actions become diluted, diluted, not diluted, diluted, (laughs) and the karma kind of blossoms. And then there's this beautiful statement that I read and this woman named Upasaka, she was called Upasaka Ki, Upasaka uh, Ki Nanyam, she was Thai, um, and she decided to leave the worldly life and go with her aunt and uncle, and they, they went to live in this abandoned monastery in Thailand, in the mountains. And um, she said that at first she was afraid. She was afraid of animals and she was afraid of people. I can't remember if she included ghosts in there, but for most Thais that's a a real thing to be afraid of. And um, And then she said she gradually started to trust Kama. And then when I read that, I thought, wow, my only reaction to Kama is, oh God, (laughs) come for me. (laughs) And then I started thinking, wait a minute, you know, if if what you're doing are a lot of good things in your life, then um, there's, there's a a trust you can develop, you know, when we chant that thing about this is what I rely on, this is what, this is what I'm um, able to, you know, it can be a lot of good things where we're able to, and it's good to remember that. Angamayam Dhamakataya Sadhukaram Dhadamase Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.